Hello, and welcome to New Mexico Castaways, the enchanting show featuring Rosalinda's ramblings and the audio companion to New Mexicast's TV show. I'm Rosalinda Roman. I'm the one that does the ramblings. And I think today I'm going to talk a little bit about boats and danger and uh, maybe the, the scary side of boating. Now, let me back up for a second. If you're new to my podcast, I live on a 45-foot sailing catamaran with three kids, one husband, and one German Shepherd puppy. Um, we moved aboard this boat two and a half uh, months ago, and it's our second time living on a boat. The first time was about six years ago now, and has it been six years? Yeah, that sounds about right. Six or actually seven years when we first moved aboard. So yeah, we've, we're doing it again. And from the first time we lived on the boat, we developed some systems to help us in situations where uh, they were potentially dangerous or we needed to be able to really focus. Um, and we call it our color code system where we immediately give a, uh, a command or we, we shout out what color our boat is on. So if our boat is on code green, everybody is free to move everywhere, talk to anyone, meaning talk to mommy or daddy, interact, be wherever, it's fine. Code green is safe and good and all is clear. Code yellow means we're in a time of transition or potential danger where we need to be completely focused on the task at hand and the kids need to be out of our way, but they can move about the boat as long as they are not in the way of the captain or myself. Um, maybe we're docking and we need to be grabbing lines and jumping here and there and, and doing things. That's code yellow. So the kids know if we say, hey, it's code yellow, they can talk to each other. They can go wherever they need to be, but they just need to kind of be mindful and, and also listen for any instructions because we might need them to help with things. So that's code yellow. Code orange is the danger code. We are in an emergency situation and we need to have our total focus on the emergency situation and know that the kids are okay. So on a code orange, they, they are instructed, the kids know, to sit on the salon couch, on the living room couch, as the first choice if it's a safe if it's safe like there's no fire or something like that but if it's safe they need to sit their bottoms on the couch um, we are in imminent danger or current danger and they need to um, stay silent and listen for commands and be calm uh, or they could sit like maybe in the in somewhere else if that area was not safe it, actually if the salon wasn't safe we'd probably be doing code red, which is abandoned ship, right? So generally they sit on the couch. Now, gratefully, we have only had before this week, we've only had two other code oranges. And um, one of them was we were in a storm that came up unexpectedly as we were sailing from Fort Lauderdale, I think it was, to West Palm Beach. And our, um, our rudder uh, gave out, I think it was the rudder, um, and it, and meanwhile, the, our guest who was visiting was uh, severely seasick, and um, my husband had to basically jump overboard to try to get the rudder uh, back in 
it like I don't know it disconnected something happened and so we were dead in the water in a storm and it was very very stressful and dangerous and we ended up having to be towed in by I think it was towboat US so that was one of the code oranges we've had that was on the previous boat Hakuna Matata um, and and then the second one was on the crossing back from the Bahamas after we had lived in the Bahamas for about five months we had another unexpected storm come up and um, it was just we were getting pounded um, out of control and, and that was a code orange too just because of the the nature of the weather uh, so that was the those were the only two until this week until uh, two days ago when we were sitting I was downstairs on the port side with my daughter Ahava folding clothes and um, all of a sudden and Miss Allie our babysitter um, was up in the salon area the living room area um, helping the kids with some of their schoolwork and Nathan was in the master suite on the starboard side just I don't even know probably doing a business call or working and all of a sudden we hear BAM like the loudest crunching BAM hit uh, sound and we it like threw us Ahava and I it like threw us like we lurched from this this impact and we screamed everybody screamed somebody hit our boat um, we Nathan and I so we yelled code orange the kids stayed on the on the couch and we um, and Nathan and I ran out to see what the problem was and it was great I it wasn't great but it was it really was a chance for us to see that we handled an emergency situation very well and I by the way I will tell the spoiler alert everything is fine not I mean not everything is fine but we are safe the boat hopefully has is okay structurally but um, yeah at the moment when that that impact happened basically there was an, a boat that has been in um, that has been under um, it's a brand new boat and they've been adding like radar and all these systems at the marina that we're at and it was at a slip uh, in front of our boat well like to the side I should say in another slip and then for some reason they decided to move it to the slip in front of us well we're in a really weird end area in this marina because our boat is very wide it's which is called the beam the width of the boat is called the beam and I think our beam is like 25 feet maybe more I don't know it's big and because of that we can only be in certain slips or certain areas because we don't fit inside a lot of these these slips that are very are much thinner um, so this boat was moving into the slip in front of our boat and we're also we also happen to be in a position where the the tides or the the current pushes in against our boat very very strongly um, we are right inside the Lake Worth Inlet if you are familiar with Florida there's the Lake Worth Inlet and Peanut Island right across from the marina that we're at and it's pushing that sometimes that current just comes rushing in so this um, guy who was part of the crew that is uh, outfitting this new boat was asked to move the boat from the slip that it was in to the one in front of us 
Well, I guess as he was trying to, you know, move into his uh, slip, he got pushed uh, toward our boat, and the and his thruster failed. A thruster is like a jet motor, if you will. I I know I'm terrible with actually describing the actual term, so forgive me for the lack of technical know-how, but basically a thruster on a boat pushes the boat in one direction or the other, and this thruster that should have pushed his boat off of our boat failed, and so he slammed into our boat. Um, Luckily, his boat is much higher off the water than ours, and the part of his boat that hit, I mean, the part of our boat that was hit was the on the forward deck there's like we so we're a catamaran so we have two pontoons that come to a peak at the front of the boat which is called the bow so the front of the boat has this little seating area and it's a great place for the kids or anyone to sit when we're underway because you get the little spray from the water at your toes sometimes you get soaking wet but it's really a fun and it's got like railings so you can hold on and sit comfortably and um, yeah, it's a, it's a great little spot. Well, that is the part that got hit by the other boat and it wrenched the seat. And because the side rail, the metal side rail of our boat was attached to that seat, that was ripped out. And the seat, um, like the metal part that holds the seat up was wrenched and that whole part will have to be replaced. The good news is it looks at least initially like it is not, um, there is no actual structural damage. It's more superficial. So it was a it was a scary experience for all of us, but it was a really good experience for us to have with a positive outcome like it was, because it gave us a chance to really see what we're made of. You know, I mean that's that's the bottom line is I'm sure this is true in every part of life that you want to find out when it's not a a life-threatening emergency that you have what it takes to handle an emergency, right? You don't want the first time that you realize, you know, wow, we don't really know what we're doing to be when you actually need to know what you're doing. So it was good. It was kind of like a few weeks earlier, our family went to, uh, we, there was a tropical storm heading our way. And so we were forced to uh, secure the boat, figure out what we were going to do about it. And um, it was a practice run because the hurricane, it actually turned into a hurricane, Hermine, but it ended, ended up not going to our area at all and hit uh, like the Tallahassee area and went up the eastern coast of uh, the United States. And I think it did minimal damage, gratefully. But uh, it was good for us because it gave us a chance to see what we're made of and what we need to do and really get our, our plans in order before... Uh, heaven forbid there's an actual uh, hurricane coming okay so again it's it's good to have that experience it's good to have the the chance to get prepared and really um, see what you're made of Uh, so that was kind of a big deal for us and it was ironic because this experience with someone hitting our boat happened the day I think it was the day after we had a really Um, kind of traumatic it wasn't traumatic to us we were totally unaffected really if you think about it but it was traumatic knowing we live on a boat we witnessed 
a boat sinking. Um, and so let me back up and tell you a little bit about that. So my, um, my husband's cousins live in a building in downtown West Palm Beach. And they invite us to come and let the kids swim in their rooftop pool, which is wonderful. And the kids have a blast and it's really nice that they let us do that. And so we were swimming up there and my husband's cousin's husband came and he was looking over the railing and he said, wow, that boat out there, because you can over, it overlooks the intercoastal of Florida. Um, and then beyond that, you can see Palm Beach and, and the ocean beyond that. So he said, oh, that boat looks like it's sinking. And I said, I looked and I said, that really does look like it's sinking. Let's, let, we, we better look at that. And so um, we looked and I thought, that can't be sinking like right now. And it turned out that the boat that he was talking about was right where my family had spent the 4th of July. And also, by the way, New Year's Eve, um, watching the fireworks over our boat. It was right in front of Trump Plaza, which is an area we're very familiar with because my husband's aunt used to live in Trump Plaza. And so we would be, um, we would, we were anchored right in front of where this boat that we were now looking at was sinking. Now, granted, we were up on top of, I don't know, like the 15th floor of this building, something like that. So it was hard to see very, very closely and clearly, but I, I started watching and I said, this that's not just like somewhat underwater, it's starting to sink. And you could see the, the air bubbling up from the cabin. And I mean, it was just, it was, to me, actively sinking. And um, I, I said, I wonder what we should do about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I said, I wonder what we should do about that. And I called our friend who lives on a boat near us and said, what would you do? Like, who do you call? And she suggested we call um, the, the marina that we're at. And so I tried to call them and they didn't answer. Uh, then I called my husband and he, he suggested I call Towboat US because we're members. Um, actually, I think we're boat. Anyway, I think we're members. Um, so that, so we called, I called them and they asked for some information and they actually did send a boat out to check it out. Um, but while they did that, the boat never came up to this boat and I really didn't know why. Like I, you could see it sinking and the towboat us boat didn't didn't approach the boat or or do anything to try to you know right the ship or whatever so that was like upsetting to me because the kids and i were thinking well what if somebody's pets are on board and they went to dinner you know at clematis street which is a, a likely scenario you would pull up your boat anchor take the dinghy over to the dock and then and then um you know call it a day and go have some dinner and then come back to your boat only to find it sinking is what we were thinking um, and so I actually because of my broadcasting this is how I process stuff while I was waiting for towboat us to do something I decided to go ahead and uh, do some live streaming and share it with my friends so they could see what was going on so I did the whole thing recording that and if you want to see the um, reports that I did, you can go to newmexicast.com slash Facebook, I'm sorry, facebook.com slash newmexicast, um, and you can see the kind of the scenario as it played out. Um, so that 
was the kind of the first part of the, the, the experience and witnessing that and then watching the towboat U.S. boat leave. And I thought, okay, I did, you know, I did my part, but I still wasn't satisfied. I was like, why aren't they doing anything? And I couldn't figure out in my mind why they just left it there. So eventually I called 911 and I said, hey, there's this boat that's sinking out and, you know, I described it. They said, oh, well, you'll have to call the Coast Guard. I said, can you patch me through? And they said, no, you have to call, you know, here's the phone number. And I'm like, I'm in a bathing suit. (laughs) Like, you know, so I finally figured out how, you know, took a note and wrote down the number to the Coast Guard. And I called the Coast Guard and described it to them. And um, they said, okay, thank you, and said they would send someone out. Well, they never sent anyone out. And um, I was, it was just upsetting. Like, nobody was coming out. It was, like, in my mind, this, you know, situation where it was actively sinking and, and nobody cared. And it made me very sad to think that if something was happening to our boat, nobody would even pay attention or do anything. Um, it turns out, after that, we went... Um, to my cousin's house to shower and you know get cleaned up and we watched the boat a little longer and and I just I couldn't get it off my mind so we finally went down to um, the what do you call it the um, dock to explore as we were leaving we the kids and I went down and, and went down and now by this time it's night and so we went down to just see if anyone was distraught watching this or if there's anyone because I took video because that's what I do of um, this boat and you could see like the water bubbling up from it and I mean you know it was it it was intense to watch and I did get video and I thought well if this is someone's boat they would want that footage so let's go down there and see what we can find so we went down there and um, we couldn't find anyone to which the boat belonged or anyone that knew anything until we were about to leave and we walked up and down the, the dock um, to see if we could find anyone. And finally, there was a security guard, two security guards there, and we started talking to them. And they said, oh, yeah, that boat has been sinking for probably a month, and nobody's doing anything about it. And I was like, well, why not? I mean, this isn't like, there are some areas where there are derelict boats, and that's just, you kind of know that. Um, and just north of there, really, on Peanut Island area, north of Peanut Island, there are some areas that some of these boats, people just leave them there and don't care. And once they, you know, realize the insurance isn't going to pay for it or whatever, they just ditch the boat and, and leave it, abandon it. But I thought, there's no way that's happening here because this is, you know, kind of a fancy area. It's a, it's the place you would, you would anchor for... Um, you know, a very short while, but not like a couple nights maybe, but not long term. And you certainly wouldn't ditch the boat there, right? But according to this, these uh, security guards, actually, it looks like you would do that. And that's what um, they did. So with that in mind, um, it, it actually put our mind at ease for the kids and myself because we didn't, we felt bad just leaving it when nobody had done anything. So that explained to me why the Coast Guard didn't come out. They already knew about the boat. And Towboat US looked at it and realized it was already something they probably had looked at in the past. Um, but I still, it still bothers me that nobody really did anything about it. Like, obviously, or not obviously, but I'm assuming that somebody abandoned that boat there. They decided, you know, for whatever reason, they weren't going to bother, you know, 
hauling it to wherever it, wherever they needed it to be, and they abandoned it. Um, and so, but it's still upsetting to think that it's just being left there to be destroyed even further. I mean, even if there was structural damage under the boat, which clearly there is, there's generally you can you can salvage a lot of the boat, right? I mean, to have somebody just ditch it and then nobody else like do anything about it that just seems wrong to me um, but I guess the for me and for the kids it was a learning experience we were glad we did something or tried to do something um, and we learned and we're going to use this as an opportunity to talk about um, some of the the laws of the the waterways and who owns what and how how that all works because apparently that's no man's land like nobody actually owns that and nor can they own it um, and so that's probably why they they ditched it there anyway again if you want to see kind of how that all played out I probably will put it up on newmexicast.com so you can go there if you want I'm in the process of overhauling that website which does need an overhaul so by the time you're hearing this you can go to newmexicast.com and look under the live streaming archives and you'll find it um, there. That makes it easy. But if you do want to follow my live work and actually see it um, when I do other future reports, you can go to facebook.com slash newmexicast. <laughs> Boy, I'm all over the place, I know. Uh, so yeah, that was an adventure and it's been a, a week of of boat sagas um, and we've learned a lot and we have a lot to learn and and my if so my dad's a little bit kind of like um, and I love you dad but you know he's got a bit of an Eeyore um, side of him not all the time but sometimes it feels like like his car broke down my mom's car broke down now my my boat was hit you know and he's just like he, to him sometimes and to a lot of people we know you know it's like oh, this is we just so much bad luck. And I say, well, actually, everybody's safe. We're okay. You know, it, it's actually, if there is bad luck, if you believe in such things, then it's bad luck with a, a relatively positive outcome, right? And um, I just, uh, I say, what I like to say in my superstitious mind is, well, we're getting all the bad luck out of the way <laughs> because we do want to, you know, we are going to sail and that is obviously taking risks and, um, oh, and I might as well just throw in the last scariest thing that we have actually talk about code orange. This is one we didn't have time to call a code orange, but seriously was the worst moment we ever had on the boat so far. Hopefully it will be the worst moment we ever have on the boat. So let me knock wood and um, I'm going to explain that one when I come back. I got to go check my GPS and make sure I'm on the right path. Um, so just hang tight. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back and um, I don't think I mentioned this on a past episode, but uh, if I did, sorry about the repeat. Um, sometimes with this wonderful audio podcast, which allows me to just ramble, it uh, probably mirrors conversations I've had with just friends of mine. <laughs> and so 
just consider yourself one of my friends. If I'm telling you the same story over again, you can just fast forward past it and know that I appreciate you listening and not um, embarrassing me for my apparent senility. Uh, anyway, so we were under sail, um, which I don't know if you know about a sailboat, but when you have the sails up and you are under wind power, you're moving on wind power, you have less uh, responsiveness. You can't, you can't um, move as quickly as you would under a motor, right? Because you can just kill the motor, turn around. Plus our boat is pretty big. And so uh, the maneuver, maneuverability, like you can't turn on a dime, right? It, it would take a little bit to turn around. I just want you to know that as I tell you the story so that you can have a heart attack with me because, you know, misery loves company. So um, we were under sail one day. Our family, it was a beautiful day and we had Miss Allie with us and it was her first, I think it was her first time with us out uh, on, this, on, sa- on sail. Um, and we were going about seven knots. Seven knots is almost about as fast as our boat usually goes. There's a few occasions you can go faster um, if the winds are crazy, but it's not necessarily. I, let me say it's the fastest we can really go smoothly and comfortably usually. I mean, you can pick up some more knots, but it's rare and it also usually means that you're in some crazy wind and it's probably not very comfortable. Um, so it was a comfortable sail. Samuel was, we have a rule. Um, so Samuel is five and he has to wear his life vest anytime he's outside the cabin, period, when we are underway. That's the, the rule. And we actually have that rule for all, for, uh, all kids under a certain age. And I really think we need the rule for all kids all the time and maybe all adults, right? Because it's just not worth the risk. But for sure, Samuel has to wear his life vest at all times. And he knows that and he's been really pretty good about wearing his life vest at all times. Well, on this occasion, we were so relaxed, under sail, it was so quiet, the engines weren't, you know, roaring, and we were sitting up at the helm area, and Samuel said to Nathan, I need to go potty. Well, his life vest goes like through his legs um, with an extra strap, and so he asked Nathan to unstrap that one strap and because it's hard for him to do. So Nathan unstrapped it, and then Samuel went down below. And Nathan then, for some reason, also went down below a few, you know, a minute or two later. And so I was at the helm, and Nathan came back up and said, where's Samuel? I said, he went to the bathroom. He goes, I just went down to the bathroom, and he's not there. Now, granted, we have three bathrooms, so I guess he had looked for, he had looked for him, and sure enough we we get this like like sick want to throw up feeling because we look back and we oh i can't even repeat it just thinking about it makes me want to like cry um we look back and there on the bottom step at the rear of the at the aft of the boat was my dear sweet five-year-old boy who had taken off his life vest completely and was peeing off the back of the boat which is something that boys do, right? You pee off the back of the boat because you can, but not without a life vest and not while we're underway. 
the little boy was about two inches from death because if we had hit a bump, a wave, he would have gone over and we would not have known until maybe it would have been too late. He did not have a life vest on. Yes, he can swim, but again, you don't, uh, you're, it's not that responsive when you're on a catamaran on a sail, uh, under sail. And he doesn't have something that we are investing in now, which we've talked about, but we just didn't have it in place. Um, a beacon, basically, that he wears on his wrist or leg um, that keeps track of where he is and alerts a signal if he goes overboard and gives you like a beacon so you can hone in on that, that kid or person's location. I think it's called spot and we do not yet have a spot system um and so in that moment i mean it was like the scariest it was the scariest moment i think one of the top five that we've ever had um and so there we were he we just i went down and i i got him and i just hugged him and i cried and i said you cannot do that you can't you be you have to have your life vest on you cannot be peeing over the back of the boat you know it's just all kinds of wrong so many things went wrong and so um gratefully though and that's the thing is if you look at it bad luck or good luck you know which one really was it good luck that that little boy didn't go overboard right not so good luck that it happened at all but um this is another one of those experiences where you go okay we were given another chance. We were given, you know, we are fortunate that um, we did not, it did not go the, the ugly way, the way that would have destroyed all of our lives, right? And that's true, I know, in everything we do, we all have moments in our lives where um, there's just something goes terribly wrong and, and you think, oh my gosh, that was way too close for comfort, you know? Um, and I'm just grateful it was just, it was just um, a scary situation and didn't turn out worse than that. Um, so I will just say we have had uh, plenty of adventures for, for this little stretch. And I'm looking forward to just normal sailing in the near future. Um, we are working out a lot of communication systems. You know, there's a lot of little things that I don't even get to talk, talk about yet here on the podcast or really with anyone because we're just in the thick of it. But like, um, you know, my husband travels quite a bit and he was away on clinicals, which means he's doing his doctoring. And, and when he's doing that, it's very hard to reach him or, or have his attention for more than a minute or two because he's in, you know, helping critical patients for, um, you know, 12 to 15 hours straight. And so, um, this was one of those times where he was working on his clinical shift in New Mexico, Alamogordo, New Mexico, and our air conditioning went out. Now, that's not critical, so you can't compete. Like, I could never compete with all the people who really need this critical care, but, you know, we've got things that come up, and when your spouse, who knows things about you know, he's the engineer on the boat, really. And um, he knows things and we have not gone through training to know these systems. And so, of course, it's bedtime. The AC went out. 
I knew that it occurred to me that the filters probably hadn't been cleaned um, in a while because that was one of our former nanny's jobs was she she very wonderfully would maintain the um, filters for the air conditioning and it because of we're at a marina a lot of the and and we're surrounded by coral reefs so a lot of sea life it's a seawater um, cooling system I guess uh, it circulates seawater through the system to keep the air conditioning units from overheating and it's because of where we are you have to um, you have to clean it like every two to three days we get like barnacles in there and just gunky stuff and so it has to be cleaned regularly Um, especially because we run the AC all the time and that's kind of a topic for a different day that my husband and I are like opposite ends of the the comfort um, temperature spectrum I am happy to have just the windows open and be warm with a breeze or a little light fan and he needs constant air conditioning at all times which is kind of funny because how you know we're on a boat and we're on this on the water so it it's not nearly as hot as it would be most of the time inland um, but anyway so yeah we uh, we had the AC go out and I knew well, it was saying high pressure so it shuts off as a safety um, and so I was like oh, what are we gonna do about this you know so I called my husband and I tried to just get a little bit of guidance so I could do it um, but the kids and I were basically learning how to do it how to fix this um, air conditioning by you know by just a a quick description from my husband in between his critical work of helping patients right so these are the kinds of things that when you're in a house there's always things that you know houses need maintenance too and things come up some system breaks or something happens but usually it's not critical it's not a critical system or um, something that you have to fix in that exact moment or something terrible is going to happen, right? And so you can wait till later or I could just wait till my husband come home, comes home, right? Because that's his department. But in this case, um, I could not uh, do that. Because, well, I could have. We could have been without air conditioning. But generally, on a boat, things need to be fixed stat like now and so the good news is it forces you to really become self-sufficient and figure things out Um, the bad news is sometimes when you really need something fixed it's very frustrating and potentially dangerous in some systems but we we try to err on the side of conservative when it comes to our safety and caution and and really trying to really think things through before we set sail on big adventures um, so yeah, so it's an it's it's funny how um, just the act of being on a boat, living on a boat, changes you. Even though we haven't sailed anywhere significant yet on this boat, um, it it's a different mindset. Everything shifts, and you shift with it. So um, yeah, I look forward to sharing some more of those stories with you guys on a future edition here on New Mexico Castaways. But I am finally about to get to our boat. I'm 
just going over the port of Palm Beach right now with all the shipping containers and uh, the big grand celebration cruise ship. It's a very active port and uh, we are at the marina right next to it called the Riviera Beach Marina. So I've got to quickly pick up Ziva for her beach volleyball lesson and so I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you so much for listening to New Mexico Castaways and I'm Rosalinda Roman.